Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Not too big, not too small, just right. That's what, you know, Goldilocks, you know, walks into the room, surveys the size of the beds and picks one that's just right for her. You know, there's an S REIT that's just right for you. Today, we're taking a look at mid-cap S REITs. RHB recently stepped up to say that selected mid-cap and overseas Singapore REITs could offer the most upside because of their bombed-out valuations. Um, that, of course, if you have higher risk appetite. So today, we take a closer look at mid-cap S-REITs and ask, where are the attractive valuations to be found? With Willie King, founder of Dividend Titan, DT himself. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Michelle. <laughs> good to have you on. Let us just start with, there are many reasons to focus on mid-cap real estate S-REITs, you know. You could be looking at diversification. You could be looking at growth potential because, of course, they're mid-cap, so they offer greater growth potential compared to larger, more established REITs or potential for capital appreciation. Why have mid-cap REITs caught your eye recently, Willie? Yeah, I mean, very good point, Michelle. I mean, since last year, Singapore REITs have actually recovered or they have rebounded. And I mean, if you have read like uh, online, you know, blogs, seminars with their outlooks, everyone has been talking about looking at blue chip stocks. Like even for myself, I've also written about uh, blue chips um, to my readers on my blog. And while I would say that, you know, it, blue chip stocks are reasonably priced in terms of their yield, I think what has not really caught the attention of Singapore REITs here, one particular sector is your mid-cap stocks. That means REITs or landlords which have a market capitalization of less than a billion, one billion Singapore dollars. At the same time, you know, like what you have said, a lot of these REITs have sort of have bombed out in terms of their valuation. That means that the stock market isn't really finding um, a lot of value or they are not really interested in some of these mid-cap stocks so far because of the fear of high interest rates. People are generally worried about um, investing in overseas assets. But then comes again, if you look closer, there are a lot of uh, pretty high quality assets here, which um, I think is worth taking a second look. Fantastic. So let us start with your first pick today. Daiwa House Logistics Trust. Market cap, $448 million. I'll let you tell us the story of the dividend yield. Current stock price, 64 Singapore cents. Why do investors need to know about this stock right now? I think what's interesting here... What's, what's interesting here, Michelle, I think for Dawa House Logistics, I think they, the share price hasn't really performed too well over the last couple of uh, two years or so. Uh, but you can see that it has actually rebounded quite nicely last year. And I think it still offers a pretty attractive view. Uh, but if you look at its latest quarterly results, um, it has improving revenues, improving distributable income. And at the same time, for Dawa House Logistics Trust, it has also continued to grow or locked in higher occupancy rate. In fact, occupancy rate actually grew from 96% to now close to full occupancy rate or 100% occupancy rate. And really, this came despite the fact that you have a you know you have the COVID-19 pandemic. I think people are generally worried about uh, the REIT sector itself. 
Um, if you see for Dawa House Logistics, what is interesting is that the the story is riding on it's really the e-commerce penetration rate. And one thing which I'm starting to look at this uh, read is because the e-commerce penetration rate in Japan is still relatively low. In fact, the Japan Ministry of Economics, Trade and Commerce have said that their Japanese e-commerce penetration rate is roughly only about 9%. And this is much lower than in China, which is at least a third of penetration rate in terms of their online presence. Even in Singapore, um, you know, for a small country like in Singapore, we have a much larger penetration rate as compared to Japan. What this means is that if you're looking at logistics companies which offer, you know, warehouses, modern facilities, logistics to some of these e-commerce players, there's still a lot of tailwind to go. And in fact, in terms of the total number of logistics facilities in Japan, only about 15% of Japan's total logistics facilities are modern warehouses, which have been owned by Daiwa House Logistics Trust, which really comes at the tailwind here because you're looking at stronger demand for e-commerce for an e-commerce market in Japan. At the same time, I think more and more people are also more attuned to buying things online. So if you look at for the distribution itself, um, in recent times, Dawahas Logistics have improved in terms of their distributable income. They've also recently acquired two properties, one in Japan and also in Vietnam as well. So that would also add on to its distributable per unit or its DPU. So that results in probably growing you in the foreseeable future. Okay, so interesting. So most of the reasons as to why you're interested has to do with e-commerce penetration, as you say, in Japan, surprisingly low for now, given what we expect of e-commerce demand, right? So sort of a mismatch there. And its recent earnings looking pretty strong. Does it mainly focus on the Japanese market? Would you say that is a risk factor for investors looking at Daiwa House Logistics trust. Yeah, I think one thing which people are generally worried about investing in the Japanese market in terms of real estate is the biggest uh, concern is, of course, the currency weakness. And there's always been some a lot of investors' mind. I mean, if you invest in Japan and because of our very strong Singapore dollar, what this means is that if we collect the rent in Japan and if we convert back to Singapore, what happens if that if the Singapore dollar is much stronger is we are probably going to collect a lower amount of rent here. So there's this thing called a currency mismatch or currency weakness. But if you look closer into Dawa House Logistics, they have more or less fixed or protect most of their interest rates and their currency as well. So they have actually hatched out a lot of their, their Japanese yen. That means they have locked in a fixed amount of uh, Japanese yen being able to convert back to Singapore dollars in the foreseeable future. So that's one. And the second thing is that one thing which I really like, or at least for an investor myself, I tend to look at what this thing called is called a margin of safety, which means that despite the currency risk, I'm willing to accept the risk because right now, that warehouse logistics have a much higher dividend yield, which roughly trades at about 8% dividend yield, which means that despite, if let's say if there's currency weakness, mm. and if I might lose out some of the losses from currency, I might also still be compensated because of the high yield, because at 8%, I thought that this is still a pretty reasonable name despite of its potential weakness in its currency. Fantastic. 8% yield, 
really quite staggering that. So uh, room for for um, cutting into that. Should there be a need to, you think, okay, that 8% should more than than cover the need to for adjustments. Let's look at your next choice, which is IREIT Global. They're a Europe-focused REIT. Recently secured two new leases in France and Germany. Now, this is interesting. I don't think we very often talk about IREIT Global. The stock has been so badly beaten down since its IPO back in 2014. It stands at a 49% discount from its IPO price. Why did it make your list? I mean, just to give a, give a context, Michelle. Um, so, IREIT Global was listed in 2014. So, it started out with five German offices um, located across the different areas of Germany. And IREIT's strategy was pretty simple. So, they they either buy grade A assets in mid-tier B cities or mid-tier grade B assets in first-tier A cities. So management calls it the ABBA strategy. And today, uh, this Singapore REIT has roughly about over 50, 50 over properties across Germany, Spain, and France. And one thing which I like about IREIT is because it's a very simple REIT to understand. There's no complex merger. There's no complicated income support, especially you know when you mentioned about IPO. Mm. Uh, they, don't, they didn't have a income support. Unlike some Singapore REITs where they do actually have uh, support from the sponsor at the start. So this, for IREIT, they sort of sit on a gold mine of German assets, which I kind of like, you know, where their tenants are either administrative centers or key commercial hubs. And what do I mean by this is, for example, one of their German assets, uh, one of their key ten- tenants uh, last year, Deutsche Telekom, they actually exited the asset itself. What was interesting is that even though they saw a temporary fall in occupancy rate, one thing which I like about IREIT was they were able to quickly start to fill in the tenants for this particular asset. So temporarily, the market doesn't really like this. And like what you said, the shares have been bitten, out, bitten down primarily because of the temporary exit of some of these tenants. What was interesting is that every quarter you know, when I was following their results, IREIT has been progressively trying to lock in the tenants for mm. this particular asset. And this allowed them to safely build up or grow back their occupancy rate. So this is one thing which really caught my attention for IREIT. Because for assets, if let's say how to tell whether they are of good quality or not a good quality is by looking at how fast they are able to fill up um, their vacant leases. And I read, I think they are able to actually fill in this um, occupancy pretty fast. Like right now, this particular asset, which is the which is called the Darmstadt campus, is already half filled, which means that they also they are also looking for more tenants to progressively fill in some of this um, occupancy rate. And this is something which I kind of like about I read because once right now the share price, I feel that it's not pricing in the full potential occupancy rate for I read Global, uh, which means that going forward. As the landlord progressively starts to fill in more tenants, mm-hmm. uh, I'll expect their distribution per unit or their DPU to progressively increase as well. Upon announcing the sell-off of its Spanish asset, RHB upgraded its stock rating from neutral to buy. What did you make of this news? Mm. So I think one thing good about IRE is that at this point, they're sort of trying to reorganize some of their assets. Mm-hmm. That means trying to sell off some, sell, sell down some of their not-so-profitable, which they think not-so-profitable assets. At the same time, keeping those assets which they feel that they're able to actually grow their rent progressively. So that's one. The second thing is also trying to manage their leverage ratio or the, the gearing ratio. So far, IRE's gearing ratio is still at a very manageable um, um, level. So it's roughly about 36-37%. Um, and it doesn't have uh, much debt to be refinanced all the way until 2026 and 2027. So if let's say the Fed today decides to go back 
and continue to raise interest rate, I don't think I read my severely suffer that kind of macroeconomic pressure which is coming from high interest rates at least for the next couple of years here. And as you can see for IREAP, one thing which I like, they don't just focus on just one region in Germany. They have also expanded into Spain and France as well. So that gives them, you know, very nice room for diversification here. We're taking a look at mid-cap S REITs today. Three picks in particular. Interesting fact, uh, the Singapore REIT market, which we know is such an important part of um, the stock market here, right? The, we have the largest REIT market in Asia, 42 REITs, 12% of stock market cap, 74 billion. Actually, it was 100 billion in terms of total market cap as of 31st of December last year, taking a look increasingly at um, the foreign ownership. SREITs increasingly investing in overseas properties uh, as well. So to what extent do mid-cap REITs provide long-term, sustainable total returns and which should you be looking at right now is what we're discussing. Okay, our final pick, Willie, is Digital Core REIT, which experienced a 44% drop in its stock price compared to its IPO back in 2021. Why did the stock go down Downhill. Yeah, I mean, this is really a love or hate kind of stock here, Michelle. Um, <laughs> for digital core REIT, I mean, shares have actually been hit hard and I think the market doesn't really like it, largely because of high interest rates. And in fact, among all the three mid-cap stocks uh, which we have discussed this morning, I think for digital core REIT, it has the highest borrowing cost of about 3%, just so because most of its assets are actually located in the U.S., um, what is interesting here is what I really like is coming along to the approach of uh, Warren Buffett's tenet of investment, which is looking at great businesses, right management. And the final one, which I really like, is don't overpay for a business or for a stock. Mm-hmm. And Digital Call Read, the reason why it appears in my radar of stocks to watch or mid-cap reads to, to, to watch is because currently at this valuation, I felt that it's actually showing sort of the valuations where I don't think I'm really overpaying for the stock itself. To look at things in perspective, Digital Core REIT has roughly close to a billion dollars in terms of its equity or its net worth. But the market cap for Digital Core REIT is roughly only $700 million, 700 million US dollars. So that is actually a discount uh, trading to its total net book value or its net tangible assets. Which compared to other Singapore REITs today, a lot of them, they are all trading at a premium to its net worth or its book value. So what I'm really getting out from Digital Core REIT is actually looking at some of these quality assets. Right now, its occupancy rate is also close to a full occupancy. Mm. They, they are, their data centers have been leased out to a lot of the IT providers or co-location providers, IT solution companies. And they're looking at this high quality asset, yet the market isn't really appreciating um, the value or the quality of these businesses. If you look at what would be my quality for digital call read, say last year, its second largest tenant has defaulted. And this is something which a lot of analysts um, and the internet, they have all been talking about it. Yep. What was interesting about digital call read was despite this default by second largest tenant, it was able to quickly recover, meaning that it was able to reach out to the sub-tenants of this defaulted tenant, reach out to them and continue to lock in the leases. So this sort of reflects one thing for me that Digital Core does indeed own some of these good assets. 
And at the same time, because of its strong sponsor, which is Digital Reality, the third largest, the third largest data center developer in the US, they have been providing very strong data center assets or quality to Digital Quarry. And it's one thing which I really like because you really have the backing of a strong sponsor. At the same time, um, recently, Digital Quarry has came out to start buying back some of its shares, which shows that there's some support for Digital Quarry's quality fundamentals, good fundamentals of its assets here. Glad you mentioned the um, resilience of this REIT because yes, all eyeballs are on oh, in June, second largest customer filed for bankruptcy. This customer took up 22.4% of the REIT's annualized rental revenue. But what did the REIT, what was it able to do after that? So I think that's a really interesting point there where, where you point out its resiliency. What other risk factors do you think may continue to add pressure to the stock price of digital core REIT? Mm. Um, this is a very good point. I think it's really because of its interest rate. So I think that's one thing which uh, the market might not really like digital core reads here. If you see interest costs start to potentially start to go up, uh, largely because of its um, US dollar interest rates. At the same time here for data centers, they still might need to actually increase their rent gradually. So it's a bit different from other sectors, other risk sectors where they're able to actually grow their rent more meaningfully. So it might actually take more time for digital core rate to actually increase their rent over time, which means that the amount of yield which you might expect it to grow for digital core rate might not be as fast as the other two mid-cap stocks. But what it compensates itself for its slightly lower yield, slightly slower growth is in its yield, its attractive valuation at this point compared to your Dow House Logistics and also for your iRig Global as well. So this is something which I would actually be uh, keeping a lookout for for Digital Core REIT. If there was one common denominator of all three REITs today, what would you say that would be? Well, I will actually go back to the tenant or my, my approach to investing mm. is not overpaying for Singapore REITs. And of all these three Singapore REITs, I'll just sum it up in one, uh, in just two words. Mm. Don't overpay for an asset. Great point. Uh, speaking of not overpaying and the assets, uh, are you seeing the gap between mid caps, which we're focusing today, and large caps here in Singapore? Is that gap widening? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Uh, since last year, after Singapore REITs have rebounded, a lot of the blue chip REITs, I mean, you're talking about the Capital Land family, the Maple Tree family, they are, you know, many of them, they are trading at about a 5% dividend yield, which probably sounds a very reasonable price to pay for a blue chip read. But if you're looking for something where the yield is probably higher, but at the same time, you're also looking for some high quality assets, then that's where I start to see that there's this gap here. Um, you know, many of the REITs, the Singapore blue chip REITs, they're probably trading about 5%. If you're looking at what you call the yield spread, um, the, the yield spread for Singapore REITs across all the 40 over Singapore REITs is roughly about... 3.1%, which is one of the lowest level compared to a couple of years ago, which means that overall, the overall Singapore REIT index isn't as attractive as it was last year. But that also means that there are little pockets of opportunities where you're looking just slightly below or slightly to the side from Singapore blue chips. You're looking at the mid-cap REITs. I think that's where there's value to be found. Digging for opportunities today. By the way, digging has become a new hobby, you know, in the States. They can't stop making <laughs> these things called hobby tunnels. 
<laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us and helping us dig for value when it comes to the S-Read market, Willie. Yep. Thank you so much, Michelle. Willie King, he is the founder of that terrific website that you need to head to now, Dividend Titan. That's what it's called. Thanks for joining me here on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.